A good haircut can be a game changer. I mean, everybody wants to look their best for those social media pics, right? So get yourself to Sport Clips at Sport Clips Haircuts. They hair do like no one else hair does. See what they did there? Not only is it the home of champion haircuts, but they've also made relaxing and unwinding the name of the game. Level up your haircut with the MVP haircut experience. It's a spa day for your follicles. Check this out. You get a seven pressure point massaging shampoo along with a perfectly steamed hot towel all while sports plays on the TV. Does it get any better than that? No. You can want it all and have it all at Sport Clips. It's a game changer. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. The Jericho Network on Westwood One. All right, the NHL Stanley Cup Final is starting tonight. And it's the Chicago Blackhawks versus the Tampa Bay Lightning playing for the coveted cup, the hardest championship trophy to win in all of sports. Like I said, Lightning versus Blackhawks. And today on Talk is Jericho, I got the greatest Chicago Blackhawk of all time, NHL Hall of Famer, the greatest Winnipeg Jet of all time, the Golden Jet himself, Bobby Hull is going to be here. Let me tell you one thing about Bobby Hull. If you grew up in the 70s in Winnipeg, Bobby Hull was our hero. He was the man. And if you grew up in Chicago in the 60s, he was the king of the Blackhawks. Still, the greatest Blackhawk of all time. How apropos that on the eve of the Chicago Blackhawks entering the Stanley Cup Final. I got Bobby Hull here. That's amazing, amazing story. I'm ready to talk old-time hockey with one of the greatest to ever step on the ice. He's actually in my family, too. It's really funny. Uh, uh, his, my brother-in-law's mother's cousin is married to Bobby. So one day uh, at Easter, I came into uh, my brother-in-law's mom's house, and I said hi to everyone. And I was like, uh, is that Bobby Hall in the corner? And they're like, yes. I was like, ah, we'll talk all about that. My One of my childhood heroes, Bobby Hull. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. Welcome to Talk is Jericho, the pot of thunder and rock and roll. The remedy for boredom has arrived. The People's Podcast is here. Let's go for a ride with our friends at Burger King. That's right. How do you capture the flaky, buttery lightness of your favorite breakfast sandwich? By saying croissant, which, all right, you can do that. Say it with me now, croissant, which you get two of these amazing, amazing croissant, for four bucks. That's right, two for four, only at Burger King. Restrictions apply, all right? Don't forget, you want a nice, tasty snack? Go to Burger King in the morning and have yourself a croissant sandwich. And today, all right, 
I got one of the greatest Chicago Blackhawks of all time, one of the greatest NHL legends of all time. He is a living legend, and I talked to him face-to-face in Chicago a few weeks ago. He's an NHL Hall of Famer. He's the Golden Jet, one of the greatest Winnipeg Jets of all time. Bobby Hull is on Talk is Jericho today. And I'm telling you right now, I'm super excited to have him on, one of my childhood heroes from the 70s. Uh, 80s, I was more of a Paul Stanley Hulk Hogan guy. 70s, it was Henry Winkler and Bobby Hull. I got three of those four guys on this show already. Henry Winkler, I'm coming for you. All right, you know, once you get a chance to listen to Bobby, whether you love hockey, whether you don't, trust me, it's a great, great storytelling time. Bobby's been around for a very, very long time. Has a lot of great tales to tell, and there's a lot of laughs on that show, and also a lot of laughs on my new Comedy Central digital series, Nothing to Report. Thanks to all of you who've already watched it. We're well over a million views already at this point in just over a month. You know what that means, too. The more views that we get, the more times you see it, the more chance we get to do more of these shows i want you to go to youtube help me out there's six episodes they're five minutes each golden nuggets of comedy genius go on to comedycentral.com go to youtube type in nothing to report and get ready to laugh your collective arses off as seamus would say listen we want to do more of these we want to do more episodes we want to do a pilot we want to actually take this thing to series Go to YouTube, go to ComedyCentral.com, type in nothing to report, and help a brother out, and that brother would be me. All right, speaking of brothers, I talked to you uh, last week about uh, losing a good friend of mine, Daniel House, passed away from cancer, liver cancer, Uh, ended up being a really, really good friend of mine over the last year and a half, and a guy that uh, I looked up to in a lot of ways because he was very much, um, very, uh, what's the word, I'm a courageous guy and uh, a very funny guy and somebody that I became quite close to over the last, like I said, year and a half. Uh, actually, he was even on Talk as Jericho, if you want to check him out and, and hear what he had to say. A man who was facing death, facing uh, cancer, and trying to beat it. He did beat it way longer than anybody ever thought he would. He recently uh, succumbed to, to that disease. But he was on Talk as Jericho. If you want to see that, go, uh, go to YouTube and type in Talk as Jericho. Daniel House. House, like... Um, like the TV series about the cranky old doctor or whatever the hell he was. But um, I talked, when I talked to Daniel, I remember asking him, like, have you prepared your own funeral? And that was one of the things that he did because he had a, a real long kind of a battle with cancer and he kind of got all of his affairs in order. And one of those affairs was putting together his own funeral. And that's kind of something strange to think about that. Like, if you got to plan your own funeral, how would you do it? What would you do? Well, let me tell you what Daniel did uh, on his funeral. And this is actually a very fun story. And this is the way I like to remember remember my bud. Um, D- Daniel's friend, a uh, mutual friend, guy called Gareth, was Daniel's uh, best man at his wedding. And he passed along to me this rundown of Daniel's funeral. So I'm just kind of go through it and, and read some of the highlights out to you so you can see what type of a guy he is and what type of a funeral we should all have, all right? Because it should be a celebration, not something sad. If, you, if we had our way, we'd want people to remember our lives with a smile. You know, I want people to, to be laughing when they think of Jericho. Like, man, like I was such an idiot. <laughs> that sort of a thing. But check out what Dan did. This is from Gareth. He said, Dan had every detail organized. It only took a few minutes to see what kind of direction this funeral was going to take. When the montage of photos projected up on the wall of the chapel were accompanied by the very familiar opening piano of Fozzie's SOS. Uh, had those of us in the know smiling like idiots. Michaela had done a great job choosing the photos with a few surprises and an appearance of not only you, Chris Jericho, uh, but also licking the Dan on a stick 
uh, not only of you licking down and stick with the whole band. What that means is uh, we had a couple of great fans um, in England that become, they become friends with Daniel because of the mutual love of Fozzie. And they'd made these, uh, you know, the, the thing that's really in vogue now is, is cutting out the, fo- uh, the, the, doing like a, uh, taking a picture of somebody's face and blowing it up and then cutting out the, the, the silhouette of the face and putting it on a stick. Have you guys seen this in the audience at Raw or at rock shows? So when we did the last European tour, uh, Julie Noobs and, uh, and Lise did this, um, you know, we'd be playing and there'd be giant distended, Daniel House heads bobbing in the crowd. So I grabbed one and licked it. And I think the whole band licked it and we had it, you know, suck us off and, you know, all stuff that guys do to each other, whether you're, you know, dying of cancer or not. So we took some great pictures of that. So uh, then, uh, so that there was some pictures of that up at Daniel's funeral. And then the eulogy by the minister was exactly as expected. Spoke of the uh, incredible person that Daniel was. And uh, Daniel's sister was wearing a shirt that said, I knew Daniel House before he was famous. Because obviously he become famous from being my friend. As you know, wow, how famous could that be? Like seven people knew him. If you know, if you're being famous because you're my friend, because I ain't that famous to begin with. So you know, you know, you're really clinging, clinging to it. But uh, then um, this is great as well. So so Gareth said a few words about Daniel and um, kind of put over the fact that he loved wrestling and the fact that he was on an online wrestling forum called TPWW.net. Back in the days before Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, there were online forums where like-minded people could come together and discuss just about anything wrestling. And it was more than just a text on the screen. It was a community, and Dan was part of that community. And we thank all of the people on uh, tpww.net who supported Daniel over the last few months of his life and supported his love of wrestling. Um, but then Gareth continues, we weren't talking just about who the tag team champions really should be. Uh, and all this other stuff we talk about life we've seen marriages and divorces on there we've seen births and sadly deaths um and, and gareth had asked some people on that forum tpww.net to share some personal stories about dan he got hundreds one in particular stuck out an american guy called heisenberg which is probably a, an alias if not he's got the coolest name of all time an iraq veteran who'd been diagnosed with ptsd post-traumatic syndrome, I believe, and told how he struggled to adjust to civilian life. He said his conversations with Dan and Dan's openness about his cancer really helped him deal with his own problems. He actually said talking to Dan was better than the drugs that the Veteran Affairs prescribed him. Um, one of the examples of the way that Daniel connected and changed people's lives, and that was Daniel House. Very, very cool, open guy about his cancer would discuss it and say, listen, man, we're all going to be in the same boat someday, and this is how I'm fighting it, and just because I have cancer doesn't mean I'm not going to live the rest of my life, and he definitely did. So, um... Just continuing on, that talked about how Dan became famous from doing Talk is Jericho and how an interview with Dan on, on my show uh, made people all over the world aware of what Dan was going through with his battle uh, with cancer, the incredible person he is, but also how they could kind of uh, relate that to their own lives. Uh, talked about how Dan proposed to Michaela in a wrestling ring in front of over 12,000 people, which was an amazing night in Melbourne, Australia, something I'll never forget. Uh, I was able to help organize that. And thanks to Triple H and, and Michael Hayes for uh, giving the green light to that because they're the ones that I had to ask. I didn't just say, sure, you can propose. I said, I'll ask. And uh, I asked Michael Hayes and I asked Triple H, and they both agreed to it. So thanks for that. Uh, thanks for Justin Roberts, too. He was really, really good to those guys sitting in the front row. 
Um, so Daniel House was it was an inspiration to all of us. And then Daniel's daughter Shakaya wrote some beautiful words about her dad that a family friend wrote wasn't a dry eye in the house. So it's a kind of a sad thing. But here's where it gets fun. We placed Daniel's coffin in the hearse and made the short, slow, cold walk to the cemetery in Tasmania where he was to be buried. When we got there, as we took the coffin from out of the hearse, the divinal song, I Touch Myself, came blaring from the gravesite, a karaoke staple for Dan, and all six of the pallbearers cracked up. That's pretty funny. You're about ready to go into, uh, into the grave, and I Touch Myself is played uh, <laughs> as requested by, by you, right? Then we placed Dan's coffin at the grave, and before a prayer from the minister, the sounds of Terry Gilliam, Eric Idle, John Cleese could be heard, Monty Python. There was more than one confused look on the many faces, but for me and Dan's other close friends, always look on the bright side of life was a perfect master stroke. So we're hearing I touch myself followed by always look on the bright side of life, and he's dead. It's very Monty Python-esque. Then a minister uh, read, read a poem and a prayer, and then as they were standing um, by the by the by the gravesite, they placed the flowers on Dan's coffin and they had a bunch of balloons in Y2J colors. And then the Y2J countdown started. And, uh, and when it hit zero, the balloons were released to the sky and the coffin started lowering into the ground. I mean, that is pretty cool, you know, Um <laughs> brings a little tear to mind and makes me laugh it's like what a great way for the countdown to signify going down to the grave so um that kind of sums up daniel's life you know taking the piss out of himself and saying hey guys it ain't all that bad and and man i mean you know what what a horrible thing daniel went through but I, i'm actually a little bit envious of him they got to plan such a cool ass funeral and uh it's one of those things I'm, I'm pretty glad i got to hear about that you know i, I couldn't have made it there and, and i didn't really I, you know, I, it's one of those things where I, I would have liked to have gone, but Tasmania is a long way away. And, and my relationship with Daniel was very much between us. A lot of things were said that no one else ever did, so I kind of wanted to keep it that way. But I'm glad that uh, I heard about that, and I'm glad that he used my countdown on my music to go into the grave site. Um, so, yeah, that shows you right there what kind of a guy Daniel House was and why I keep talking about him. I mean, all of us have people that, that we lose, and uh, I, just, like, I just really put a, a, a big impression on my life, and I hope you guys uh, understand the reason why. So say a little prayer for Daniel House and for his family, and if you want to hear a really inspirational story, go check him out on Talk is Jericho from about a year ago on YouTube. And in honor of Daniel House, um, we're going to play the song that, that he had going when, when they showed the pictures of us licking his distended, photographed face. <laughs> SOS uh, by Fozzie for one of the coolest Fozzie fans I've ever met in my life and, uh, and, and a good friend of mine. This one's for you, Daniel. Where are those happy days? They seem so hard to find. I tried to reach for you, but you have closed your mind. Whatever happened to our love, I wish I understood. It used to be so nice, it used to be so good.
Good little cry, thinking about uh, people that have that have gone through our lives and left uh, a pretty good uh, impression. And definitely, Daniel is one of those guys. And you're speaking to people who left a good impression. Uh, I'm gonna have a great guy on that left an impression on me as a kid when I watched him play hockey, and has left a great impression on him since I got to meet him as an adult. I'm talking about Bobby Hall, one of the greatest hockey players of all time, the greatest Chicago Blackhawk player, one of the greatest Winnipeg Jets, and an amazing, amazing guy. So many cool stories. And Bobby, uh, you know, he's he's looking pretty good. He's getting up there, but he still looks like he can strap on a pair of skates and, and, and beat your ass if he wanted to. The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Right, sitting across from me, one of the greatest of all time, Bobby Hull, the Golden Jet. It's really cool to be sitting with you, Bobby. Chris, can't tell you. Of course, we go back to your father. That's right, <laughs> we yeah. Played, we played against one another for many years, uh-huh. and uh, very, very great times playing against your dad. And, uh, mm-hmm. and on my way out of Winnipeg yesterday, coming back to Chicago, there a couple of the... The, the midget wrestlers, oh, they're the cutest little thing. And I, and I remember going to see them, Sky Low Low and yeah. Little Beaver and uh, right and uh, the whole bunch of them. And it's, it's it was just fun to, to be with them, and, and it's great to be with you. Well, you know, it, 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 a couple things. Well, first of all, since you mentioned that, because you played in Winnipeg in the 70s, and obviously we'll talk about all this, but 
wrestling was really popular in Winnipeg, the AWA out of Minneapolis. The greatest, the greatest, biggest bar on Sunday nights in, in the world is Winnipeg Arena. <laughs> when they had wrestling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they'd fill the joint and it, it was it was. Did you ever something. have any, uh, any uh, experiences with any of those guys coming through town or being there just, at the same time? Just just my son when I'd take them and he'd oh, bark, okay. bark my, what is it, Bobby Blake? Brett and Martin. fourth one, I guess, or fifth one. <laughs> one of them. One of them. And uh, uh, he was there, and one somebody got smart with him, and he drilled. <laughs> he, he's a bad little. He just drilled <laughs> the wrestler, and they, the kid laughed. And <laughs> I, I remember one time, like there was always a little bit of a correlation between wrestling and in the Jets because it's Winnipeg, like you said, the arena. Sure. And there was a match one time in a cage, and they had Fergie. John Ferguson was the guest referee. <laughs> I still remember that for the world title. They should have taken him and popped that that pimple on the top of his shoulders. <laughs> and I wouldn't have had to do it a long time. That's right. That. That's right. But it was so funny. I'll never forget the time um, I went to my brother-in-law's mother's house for Easter. And I walked in the door and I said, I look in the corner and I said to my is that Bobby Hall in the corner? She's like, oh, yeah, he's married to uh, Brant's mom's sister. And I was like, you got to be warning me about this stuff. Like, cause we never actually, if we met, it was when I was a kid, but we never actually met as an adult. No. And I flipped out. I was like, fucking Bobby Hall's in the corner. What are you, why didn't you tell me this? Well, well you, you had your twins there. And, I did. And, and my and son. son. Yeah. That was, a, I enjoyed that very much. But it was funny because it was just this random mm -hmm. Easter thing. I had no idea. No one had ever told Thanksgiving. me. Thanksgiving. It was Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Yeah, That's it wasn't right. Easter. It was Easter this year, I think. Okay, yeah. I, was, I saw your wife That's, there. Yeah, she was there then. But you had yeah. the best line ever. The kids got so many toys. You said, look at all these toys. When I was a kid, if I didn't wake up with a heart on, I had nothing ah! to play with all day. <laughs> that's an outtake, folks. <laughs> I tell that that's, I call my dad. That's, I said, you got your Bobby's joke. This is great. <laughs> but uh, we're here in Chicago, and uh, we talked a little bit about you went to the game last night. You still have a, a pretty a big presence in Chicago as kind of like the ambassador for for the Blackhawks. It's it's amazing after all those years. And I hit the, my last year in Chicago was seventy one, seventy two. Mm -hmm. uh, but going back there, it's just like going back home. So many people that are hockey fans now. And that have the affluence to go to games, they were at the games when I played. Hmm. And they remembered uh, the great teams that we had and how well we uh, entertained them. Mm -hmm. uh, all the while I was in, in Chicago, I broke in in 57 and left in 72. And uh, they were 15 of the greatest years of my life. <laughs> My, the prime of my life playing there in Chicago. So the, they remember the, the great teams we had with the Makitas and the Pierre Pilots and the uh, Dennis Hulls and mm -hmm. et cetera, all Chico Mackies and all the rest of them. When did you kind of come back in the fold into Chicago again? Chris, I never, ever thought that I'd ever be back in Chicago. I thought I'd burnt all the bridges that I possibly could in leaving Chicago. Mm -hmm. But when Rocky Wirtz took over, uh, he's, he was not cut from the same bolt of cloth that his father and grandfather father Bill were. Wirtz. Bill Wirtz. Dollar Bill Wirtz and, and old, <laughs> old Arthur Wirtz. He is a magnificent person, just a fabulous guy. And uh, you couldn't want to work uh, for a, a nicer person. Mm -hmm. And he did everything that uh, the people in Chicago wanted him to do. 
and all of a sudden here are four, maybe four or five thousand people in the in the building. And when he took over, he put the home games on TV. Uh, he got rid of the Deadwood and in, in uh, Bob Pulford and all that regime that were they were doing nothing but destroying in Chicago, legacy, yeah. and and then hired John McDonough and his group from the Cubs, likely the greatest sports marketing people I've ever come in contact with and scotty bowman that brought him on to help us son out and i think the icing on the cakes when they hired uh, stan mckeita and, and yours truly uh, to be ambassadors so they said this guy is doing what we've been looking to, to have done for the past 35 years yeah. and uh, in so doing they just flocked back to the to the rink and uh, twenty-two thousand people at the games. Every, every it's a big, every it's a night. big rink too. It's, yeah, it is. A yeah. Big rink. nice rink too. Not like the old Chicago yeah, stadium. stadium. Yeah, not quite as noisy. <laughs> noisy. They they try to make it that way, but it's it's not it's not as noisy. My as dad would uh, tells me the story about how I, I believe it was Chicago, it might have been Boston. I think it's Chicago where the dressing rooms were downstairs. Twenty-two steps, Chris, <laughs> in your skates. Oh yeah, and he said you'd walk up the steps and you'd hear this. <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah! Roar as you came up, and then people would just be like, "The Rangers." Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. I mean that—that's because Chicago is such a great sports town. It's like it's like New York. Well, just think of it. They—they—they they, they support two baseball teams, mm-hmm. National and American League, Cubs and the White Sox. Right. Uh, basketball team, mm-hmm. the the Bulls, the Bears, mm-hmm. NFL, uh, two hockey teams. Right. And anyone else that wants to come into that area, they'll support them. Yeah. They're they're just wonderful sports fans and they they love their sports. They they love hockey. Hockey was a, back in the 60s was the toughest ticket. That, Why is that? That you could get. Oh, just to buy to, one? Just to buy one. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah they so crazy. They, they couldn't get it. Yeah. Well, when you talk like if you go even into the WWE locker room, you know, and ask, "What's what's your favorite crowd?" I will always say, and so will ninety percent of the guys in Chicago. Oh, the sure. crowd is always the loudest yeah. and most boisterous, yep. and mm-hmm. it's like that for hockey as they, well. They appreciate you. They they appreciate you know? everything you do for them. Yeah. And if you want to try something out, take it to Chicago. They'll let you know how whether they like it or <laughs> if they don't. Yeah. When you're watching the games now, I mean, obviously the times change. You know, the style of play changes. But you were such a, a pioneer. Back in your when you were you know in the '60s and all that sort of thing, what are some of the differences that you see between the the, the team now and the and the style of play now in comparison to when you were? Well, the kids today are bigger mm-hmm. and faster, mm-hmm. skate faster and shoot harder, but they don't play for the same reason that that we played. Um, I I always say I played for likely five reasons: to make a boyhood dream come true, to play in the National Hockey League, as most all. Red-blooded Canadians, and your <laughs> father was no yeah. different. Um, to entertain the people royally, royally, and I think that we did that. To work up a thirst so we could drink some beer and chase some girls. So, <laughs> now what's wrong with that? <laughs> that menu. <laughs> um, but the, the, the equipment is so much better now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm afraid if I ha- if I had the skates that they wear today. I'd be out on Madison Street uh, more more often. I'd be up with the Zamboni and then the sticks, all those composite sticks. Uh, I don't know how hard I, we could have shot the puck. So you're really. saying with your stick being made of wood, yep. that gave you a harder shot? No, the composites now, oh. the puck just flies off. 
Oh, you would have had, a, would have had even a harder shot. Oh, God. And been a faster skater. Oh, would have been either top corner or second balcony. <laughs> <laughs> and no control over each, None, right? what, none whatsoever. <laughs> How about uh, as far as the style of play with the, like the toughness hitting and that sort of thing? I, I think that we had um, more hitting. Uh, I believe we controlled the puck more, uh, and we we did it for for we did things for a reason. Mm-hmm. I know when I played, I waited for everyone to go up the ice, and then I would come with speed from behind. And when I would reach the other opposition blue line, everyone was standing around in there, and I was going at twenty five or thirty miles an hour, and they couldn't touch me. Because I was, you had the head of steam were, built yeah, up. Yeah, they were they were standing still, mm-hmm. and once your once your feet stop, your brain stops. <laughs> so so I got the I'd get the puck and, and be able to waltz through a, a maze of players and then be able to blister the puck at, at the net. They go up five, racing this way, five back this way, or ten, I should say. Mm-hmm. They're in they're in they're in mass, just like think you take your your hand and. You, your right hand and, and into your left hand. That's how they would they'd race up the ice race. Mm. And I told Brett Hall, I said, Brett, I said, the further you are from that puck, the more you're in the play. And he used to say, Dad, what the hell are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And after he got, he got the idea, and I've heard him on the interview, he said, my dad used to tell me, the further I was from the puck, the more I was in the play. And I used to think, what is wrong with that father of mine? But I found out what he meant. He meant stay away from the people and then go into the spot that's that's open and, and the puck will come to you. Wow. Yeah. With that's, some speed too, yeah. Well he no one no one could release the puck like Brett Hull could. No one no one could score goals in so many different ways as Brett Hull could. Yeah. And not just because he was my boy. He's he's fabulous. He's, he's like he's like you were to to ten. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what's amazing? You know, you see this. You talk about genetics. Dad looks like son. Same hair or same you know laugh. <laughs> Even in wrestling, some guys will take a, you know a, a slam the same way. But Brett Hall's wrist shot came straight from Bobby Hall's wrist shot. It's amazing the genetics there. When when he, we were in Winnipeg. Um, he came to every practice pretty well that mm-hmm. we had, especially on the weekends, of course. And uh, we'd have our shooting after the practice was over. We had a shooting practice where it was get it and shoot it. Mm-hmm. Don't bite your initials in the puck. When the puck hits your blade, release it. And Brett used to stand there and watch us. And there were only two of us, maybe, that could shoot the puck get it and shoot it any better than Brett Hull when he was just a 10, 11 year old, he could get that puck and just wire it. Mm-hmm. And, and he, he learned a lot from watching. He was a quick learn, quick study and uh, knew the mechanics of shooting the puck mm-hmm. and, and didn't, uh, didn't use a stick that he couldn't overpower. He overpowered the stick. And with that, by that, I mean, Chris, he could compress it. And it's just like a golf golf club. If you can't if you can't compress a, a golf club mm-hmm. handle, it's not going to knock the ball that three hundred yards like like you want it to. Right. You have to be able to compress it so that that club head whips 
back into shape once you come down through the swing. Oh. Same same with hockey. When Brett Hall would lay on that stick, if you ever saw pictures of him, it, it was just like a bow. Hmm. And then when he'd release it, all the genetics generated <laughs> in that stick would would let loose, and just the puck would just jettison off the off the blade. Was that your technique as well? Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I, because I shot the puck much. Or Brett, maybe I should say, shot the puck <laughs> much the same way I did. <laughs> but let me ask you this: I mean, and I don't know specifically, but I had always. Heard even even from my dad. I'm looking at your wrists right now. He said, "Bobby, all had these big wrists," <laughs> and was kind of one of the pioneers of the wrist shot. Yeah, which means for for people that don't know, slap shot is you the stick goes up above your shoulders and you bring it through. Wrist shot, you, you don't even move your arms. You're just no, basically you're just, using your wrist. You pull it, yeah, pull it in, and then pop it. Did you? I'm not going to say did you invent it, but did you make that a, a popular move? Well, I, I, of course, when I played. I didn't make any bones about it. I couldn't stick handle past my grandmother <laughs> when I could skate. Mm-hmm. I was in good shape always and could shoot the puck. Mm-hmm. So I thought to myself, if I could put myself in a position to shoot the puck, that's what I have to do. So I skated well. I worked out. I was in great shape and would put myself in a position to fire the puck. And that's... That's all. That's, that's all. The I, secret. That's all I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, put myself in a position, and all my teammates knew. <clears throat> I'm not giving you this puck to get an assist. I'm giving you this puck so you get it back to me in better shape, so I can <laughs> shoot it. <laughs> right. I was no fool. Yeah. No fools Forget in our the family. Assists, yeah. Right. I'm the so, artillery man. Like my dad says. Anybody can get an assist. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and another thing um, that's interesting, too, is in those days nobody wore helmets and, and, and goaltenders didn't wear masks. I had heard because your shot was so hard, that's why guys started saying, we better put something on our face. Well, actually speaking, I don't know who it was that got cut. And I think it was Freddie Stanfield who played for Boston, used mm. to be with us. He was in that. Terrible trade, Esposito's Hodge and Stanfield to Boston for search and destroy Marat and <laughs> seek out and eliminate and a goaltender by the name of Jack Norris and pitiful Pitt Martin was the worst trade in the history. And uh, he had a straight stick, mm-hmm. and he hit the goaltender. But they had one excuse to limit the curve in our sticks. And we... we, we uh, I think revolutionized the game with the with the hook sticks mm-hmm. when we when we got so we could use it properly, and it, but but they just wanted to govern us and. Mm-hmm. Where did you come up with the idea of a, of a curved stick? First well, of all, Jules Marat put me in the in a garbage can when I was five years old in the St. Louis Blues restaurant. <laughs> I think he gave me a cigarette too. No, that was Bobby Plager gave me a cigarette. So. I, I, that would be more like it. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you, you're talking about the curved stick, and I know this is this is you and Makita pretty much invented this. Where did you come up with the idea? Well, Stan was an awful bugger. He hated Northland sticks, the mm. old wooden sticks. And every time he'd get one that he didn't like, he'd lean on it and break it. Mm-hmm. And I said, Stan, I know 400 little guys that would love to have your stick. If you don't like it, put it on my rack, and I'll see that a deserving kid mm-hmm. gets your stick. Screw mm-hmm. those little And then he'd just lean on it and break it. Well, this day at practice, Billy Ray was working with the also-rans, and Makita and I are at center ice. John, 
<coughs> and uh, he gets on the stick again. These GD Northlands, I hate fucking. So he's leaning on it, trying to break it. And he's only 165 pounds soaking wet, and he couldn't. He couldn't break the stick. The stick was too lithe and willowy, and he couldn't break it by leaning on it. So he went over to the door of our bench and jammed the stick in the door, and then tr tried to break it that way. Well, what happened? The bottom part of this, the blade. Uh, stayed in the door and it split down the middle and the top part flew out so it came out about the width of a of a puck and i don't know whether you played road hockey to the point where your stick would get thin mm -hmm. when you'd go out and play right. on the ice with it you could really shoot the puck <laughs> because there was no resistance there it was the same width as, as your stick and uh, he kept trying to break it, and he came out with a heck of a wow in the bottom of the blade, like this. Mm -hmm. And it, it was split. a combination of, of course, being thin and with the hook. Now he's he's got to get a new stick, so the deal was we didn't even know enough to bring an extra stick up with us up those 22 steps. <laughs> and he'd pound on the glass. Trainer would come see who it was, go back down, get a stick, another stick off a rack, bring it up. Well, while the trainer was looking and going back to get him a stick, there were some pucks laying in the net. And here he is over there pulling these pucks out of the net and snack, snapping them back in the net, pulling them out in the net. And I'm thinking to myself, I said, Makita's gone completely bonkers. <laughs> Look what he's doing, fishing those pucks out of the net, shooting them back in, fishing them out, shooting them back in. So he came over to me. I said, what the hell were you doing down there? Taking those pucks out of the net and then firing them back in. He said, well, Bobby, when I tried to break my stick, I put a hell of a wow in the blade. And can you ever shoot the puck with that hook in the, in the blade? I said, well, it's a combination, of course, of the, the thinness and the, and the, the, the hook. Mm -hmm. But he said, I'm after the... Uh, practice, I'm going to call Northland and have him send me a half a dozen with a hook in the blade. Mm. I said, well, while you're at it, just tell him to send me a half a dozen only hook him the other way because he shot right and I he shot left. left. Yeah. And it went from there to we didn't know how. We didn't have the torch back then. And yeah, the how only, do you bend that? You have to burn it almost and bend it while it's... Almost, yeah. yeah. You, you heat the blade on both sides so and then rubbery. step yeah, mm. and then step on it and hook it the way you want. Well, the only way I could figure out to do that was run it under the hot water tap until it got soft. Hmm. And then we'd we'd put it under a door and jack it up and put a chair, ah. the back of a chair, under the stick so that it was all night like this. So it and then when it. you Yeah, when you come down in the morning, it was, that's like I said, it was either top corner or second balcony. <laughs> <laughs> that those, those sticks were just, some of them almost a half circle yeah yeah did you tell anybody that you were using these sticks or just oh, going to use everybody everybody saw it. you could see it they could see it yeah so yeah. did did the did somebody rat you out or i'm sure oh, somebody of course yeah, yeah. <laughs> all of all the uh, sports writers uh -huh. and uh, and the telecaster said oh there's my kid in hall out there with those hook sticks again <laughs> so did they make you did what did the league <laughs> 1970 i believe was 1970 uh, they appointed a guy by the name of Dutch Van Dielen, who never did one GD thing to promote the game of hockey. They promoted he and his 
his uh, group to uh, police mm-hmm. before every playoff game uh, the sticks. You had to have three sticks ready for the games. So, of course, sticks were there in the rack. They'd put their initial on it, that oh. they were okay. As soon as their backs were turned, out came the torch, and I'd crank her up the way I wanted it. <laughs> so they never really ever took my stick because they knew I'd make an ass of them if they ever did. Right, right. Yeah. Well, you had such powerful, such a powerful wrist shot with or without the stick even. I scored 50 goals with a straight stick back in 1962, Which when we started the, the hook in 63. So. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you pretty much already set the tone of what you were doing. Yeah. Did, yeah. did you did you have a shot that would raise off the ice? Like I mentioned earlier, we were talking about goaltenders that had no mask. Were you were you zinging shots, top corner or, or second balcony? Were the, were the goalies scared of you? Well, uh, a, a lot of them were. And mm-hmm. you talk about goaltenders playing without the mask. Our goaltender, Glenn Hall, who had come from Detroit before. Played over five. Now think about this, Chris, and your and your fans. Think about this. Glenn Hall played over five hundred consecutive games wow. with with without a mask and consecutive. And, and, and had to face Dennis and I in, in practice. But I I knew I knew when Glenn didn't want to stop the puck, he'd just get over to one side of the net and I'd shoot it in the other side. Mm-hmm. Not Dennis, Dennis. Glenn would get it in one side of the net, and Dennis would hit him over there. <laughs> then he'd get outside the net, and Dennis would chase him. And I remember Glenn, he talked with a little Lithuanian team. Billy, those hall, those hall boys, they're shooting at me again. <laughs> but we, we, we knew. Yeah. I, I always practiced on the, on the practice goaltender mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. The, or the second. Yeah, rather the sparring than, dummy, rather yeah. than Rather than Glenn Hall. I, when, uh, when he and Tony, if they didn't want to take the shots, they used to just get on one side of the net, and I'd shoot it in the other side. Yeah, it's practice. Of course, this is practice yeah. for them as much as anything. And that's what I get a lot of guys in warm-ups. I see them going in there and wiring them right under the crossbar on these on their starting goaltenders. I said, come on, guys. Right. These guys are warming. This is their warm-up. Yeah, you want to shoot it on the pads and in the yeah, glove. and. I'd, I'd, I'd take one stride and shoot it and bounce it off their pads or give them something to catch mm-hmm. from 50 feet out. Right, yeah. So these guys go in there and wire it right up around their ears. Yeah, you scored a Crazy. goal in the warm-up. Good yeah. for you. <laughs> we, you know what we call those guys? What? Morning glories. <laughs> You'd see these guys, they can skate and they yeah. can shoot big and strong. In the morning, they look like world beaters. Come the night of the game... You have to get a program to find out who the hell they were. We call them morning glories. Morning glories. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Talk is Jericho. Sitting across from me, one of the greatest of all time, Bobby Hull. Who were some of the goaltenders that you um, 
I guess the best guys that you played against. Eddie, Eddie Giacomo was deathly afraid of both Dennis and I. Really? Oh, yeah. All I'd have to do is drop my shoulder, and, and he'd be right up on his You could fake him out. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. And I, I knew the size of everyone's gold, every goaltender's skate. Like, oh, there's a 9.5, there's an 11, there's a 12. They'd go right up in their heels. Oh, like Flamingo you. Yeah. <laughs> right up in their heels, and then they could do whatever you wanted with them. You had them. Yeah, was there anybody that because uh, you were a fast skater too? He's talking about defensemen. Were there some guys that 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 could stop you? Oh hell yeah, everyone out there could stop yeah. you. And and back then, Chris, think about this. I played for ten years uh, in the original six, mm-hmm. and we we played against one another fifteen times. Right, fourteen times. What would it be? Fourteen, 14 times, times a year. Five, yeah, seventy seven, games. Seven, yeah. yeah, seventy. Yeah, that's what we played seventy. And uh, you had to make a hell of a play because you were playing against the same people night in and night out. Mm-hmm. So you had the, you had the, as I said, I used to come from behind with speed. I never forced the play out. Mm-hmm. I didn't want, I didn't want to be up front. I wanted to come from behind. So, how how hard was it to get in the league back in those days? You're talking about six teams she, with fifteen was, players on a roster. Yeah, she was well about twenty. Okay, 20. 20 players. So you deal with 120, 140 players. Six times 20, 120 players are the best, supposedly the best. Yeah. And uh, once once it was one thing to make it, but then to stay there was another thing. Mm -hmm. If you didn't didn't hustle your rear end every game, every shift, there was always three or four guys in the minors that wanted to take your place. And then that's why we played guilty. We didn't. Yeah, we played guilty all the time. But we played hurt a lot because we didn't want anyone else to take our jobs, take your spot. Yeah, sure. So I mean, if you got sent down to the minors, it was hard to get oh, sent back up. You I should say. Yeah, once they start to tool with you in the minors, mm. you, you very seldom got another. Go was there any, ever any players that you were with that you knew, like? Man, that guy. Could have made it or should have made it, but there there were likely a half a dozen on, on everyone's roster that were interchangeable. Mm-hmm. You could wouldn't matter if they were up, that group was up, or the next group was up because they they were the, that back end of our our people. I say there were. I think they had eighteen players and two goaltenders. Those bottom three or four guys were interchangeable. Okay. They they were the same talent and it was just whether the general manager liked you, See, or, you go, or, right? or did not like you. It's politics at that of point. Course, of course it was politics. You could be blackballed just because Ab- you rubbed them the wrong way. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Did, and so did that ever happen that you would see like, oh, somebody I've, gets I've, drunk I've, or I've, I've seen people yeah. <laughs> that drank themselves out of the league, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get into the league? Like well, I was like, world back then. I was like every other red-blooded Canadian, Chris. I dreamed about playing in the National I can't remember when I didn't. Mm-hmm. I was either going to get old enough or big enough, <laughs> and I was going to play in the National Hockey League. And I, I just dreamed about it and made the boyhood dream come true, as I said earlier. And it was, uh, but did you play like uh, club hockey or we we played minor hockey? There mm. were when I was ten, the nearest town to us, seven miles away, was Belleville, Ontario. Where did you grow up? 
southeastern Ontario. Okay. But 120 miles east of Toronto, mm-hmm. for the people that know a little bit of geography in, yeah, in Canada. Canada. Yeah. And uh, played minor hockey. And when I was 10, I played Bantam hockey. That was the lowest group that they brought in. And played two or three years Bantam and one year of Midget when I was still Bantam age. Mm-hmm. So I played two, two years of Bantam, one year of Midget, and... Uh, then went away from home when I was 14 to play junior hockey. And that was to a team that the Chicago Blackhawks gotcha. had had uh, sponsored uh, some of the money to run the, the mm-hmm. junior teams. So you were kind of so, scouted by them from the start? Really scouted first by uh, Detroit, a guy by the name of uh, Red Creighton. Mm-hmm. They thought, I thought I was going to Detroit. Wouldn't that have been nice? How and I? <laughs> oh wow! Play, yeah, playing together. Who would have worn number nine? Well, <laughs> maybe maybe I'd be like Gretzky. I didn't didn't know didn't know I was a Hald fan or a Howe fan, and he wore ninety nine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but all of a sudden, Chicago knew because they had sponsored the junior team in Belleville that I became their property when I was thirteen years of age. Hmm. I became Chicago property when I was thirteen. Because every wow. every city, every town that the, the parent clubs, the original six, would sponsor a junior team, the product coming out of that minor hockey system belonged to the to the parent club, and that's how I became Chicago property. How old were you when you played your first NHL game? Oh, I I didn't. Chris, I wasn't ready. I, I, I hadn't I hadn't really. I was eighteen. Mm-hmm. I hadn't really uh, burnt up the. Uh, OHL at that time, the OHA. So I really wasn't ready. But Chicago, they'd been in the in the basement so long, and they had a bunch of old old cooters there that they needed to get rid of, and they wanted to bring some youth into their their game. So that's how I got to be able to play. Who were the big stars on, on the Blackhawks when you went up there? Uh, Eddie Litzenberger was the the big goal scorer. Uh, Glenn Hall was our goaltender. Mm-hmm. Teddy Lindsay had come from Detroit. Todd Sloan had come from Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, Makita was just a kid coming up. He was two years after me. Uh, we didn't have too many real good ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we got out of the basement on the first first year and then into third place in the third year. And then from there, she was all downhill. Because uh, <laughs> you, you said you weren't ready, though, when you first oh, no. came up. Do, oh, you, no. do you remember I, your first game? Were you scared? Were you nervous? Of course, I was nervous. <laughs> but I can't remember the first. Yeah. I can remember my first goal. Oh, yeah? I, I wheeled into the the goal area with the puck and got checked into the goaltender, and I took the puck. And the goaltender to the back of the net. <laughs> it wasn't. A, it wasn't a thing of beauty, but there were a lot of things of beauty after that. <laughs> yeah. That counted though. You, if you, you scored with the goaltender and the puck, <laughs> looked like the line score. Like looked like a line drive in the box score. <laughs> but like you mentioned, you, you you helped turn Chicago's fortunes around. You guys won a Stanley Cup. I know it was the first one they'd won in years. 1961. 1961. 1940, I think, was before that sometime, 43 or something. Right, and you said they were in the basement this whole time. You're scoring 50 goals in a season, uh, which hadn't been done. If if it had been done, it hadn't been done many times. Two two other guys had scored 50. 
goals in a season. Mm -hmm. Uh, The great Rocket Richard with the Montreal Canadiens scored 50 in 50 games in 1945 when everyone was in in the service. And then um, 1961, Bernie Jeffron, same club. Boom, boom. Scored scored 50 goals. And, And then I followed it up in 1962 by scoring 50. And then scoring more than 50. That, I was the first one to break the 50-goal barrier in 1966. I, wow. I scored the 51st. That was the first. So you're uh, on fire at this point. You're like in the prime of your career. Oh, oh yeah. That, we were having fun, too. Yeah. You know you know when you were in your prime, <laughs> yeah. you were having fun. Absolutely. I, I never had a job in my life. <laughs> I played hockey. <laughs> <laughs> but this is what, what I kind of wanted to talk to you about, I mean, besides all this other stuff, is – in I think it was probably seventy or seventy one or whatever it was, you go to the WHA to become a Winnipeg Jet. Now mm-hmm. at this point in time, nowadays free agency guys go. You know sometimes whatever musicians will go to other record companies or guys will go to different teams. But you jump to this new upstart league. What was the story behind that? I had just come off a five year contract with the Blackhawks. Mm-hmm. And I was 32 years old, and I felt that I had another five years of good hockey left in me. And good hockey for you meaning dominating 50 goals, killing it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, leading leading the league in scoring. Yeah. And I'll say it, being one of the best players in the league. I can say that. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. <laughs> well, uh, apparently they didn't think that I would go anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And that's when 1972, when they were talking, 71, 72, they were talking about starting this new league, this WHA, World Hockey Association. And what they did, they threw all the names of the NHL players that didn't have a contract or had fulfilled their contract. And then they they picked out of the hat. I think there were nine franchises at the beginning of the WHA. So they would pick out of the hat, and whatever name you got, it was up to you to sign them to the one of the teams <laughs> in the WHA. Paper and a hat. Yeah, that's the yeah. same same deal. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yep. That's how <laughs> antiquated it was. <laughs> well, it just as it happened, Ben Hatskin picked my name out of the hat with the Winnipeg Jets, mm-hmm. and they talked about it, and I, I met Ben first time. Uh, Grey Cup time in in, in uh, Vancouver, which would be what is that November, November yeah. something like that. And uh, Bob Turner, who played uh, on our team, had come from Montreal and played on our, our team in Chicago, worked with Ben, and he said, "Would you meet a business associate of mine?" I said, "Sure." Would like go upstairs and get rid of my bag and. And uh, we'll go and say hello. And he took me and met and uh, introduced me to to Ben Haskin. Nice guy, gruff, um, didn't make any bones. Made a little bit of small talk and then said, "Bobby, we want you to come be a Winnipeg Jet for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year." Well, at that time, I'd just come off a contract, uh, not quite a hundred thousand with the Blackhawks, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and that's like said, one of the top players in the league, uh, but a hundred grand or supposedly. So. I don't. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, 
I said, thank you, Mr. Atkins. That's a very generous offer. But I think I said, I think I can get 250 from the Blackhawks on a five-year deal. Mm-hmm. So, uh, any and I said, anyhow, we've got the rest of this season to play and the playoffs before I want to talk about uh, any other mm-hmm. team. Well, they just kept on me and on me and on me. And my accountant said, they want to know what it'll take to get you to come to the WHA. I said, Harvey, I said, I don't want to leave Chicago. It's the greatest city in the world with the greatest sports fans in the world. Why would I want to lug five kids and an extravagant wife all the way across the country to a place I'd never been before? I'd never been to Winnipeg before. <laughs> of course, that's hometown. Was it, was it not? Your, your yeah. dad was Yeah, that's born. where I grew up. That's in where you grew yeah, up. Yeah, sure. absolutely, yeah. And, and there was nothing. It wasn't Winnipeg. It wasn't. It was just I didn't want to leave Chicago, so finally, they they talked me and they said, "Well, tell them something so we can get rid of them." I said, "Okay." So this is how I generalize. I wanted five more years, and I said, "If I play one year, I'll get my two hundred fifty thousand, but maybe the legal fold, and then I'll be owed a million dollars." And I don't want Ben Haskin. I like Ben Haskin. I don't want him to be holding to me because I'd, uh, I'd sign a personal uh, service contract. I didn't want him to be hooved to pay me a million dollars for nothing if the league folded. And I said, and I wouldn't want to go back to the NHL. So I told him, I said, go tell them if they give me a million dollars up front, they've got themselves a player. Ha, ha. Well, he went, and, and I said, well, what'd they say? He said, don't do anything until we hear from you. I said, you mean to say they're going to try to raise a million dollars for this cowboy? <laughs> I said, don't be surprised, Bobby. There are nine of them, and all they have to, nine franchises, oh. all they had to do was come up with 100000 all they had to do, right? They had to come up with 110000 So they were raising it as a league. As the league. Knew yeah, that would be a bonus. For every From team. the league mm-hmm. to me. Not not Winnipeg. Right. Not Winnipeg. From the WHA. No, Winnipeg, if I signed with the WHA, with Winnipeg Jets, they owed me $250,000 a year. Mm-hmm. because For five the, years. For five years. And the, the, the million was a bonus mm-hmm. for me to jump from the Chicago Blackhawks and the National Hockey League to the WHA. Wow. And I, and that, and I said... You mean to say there? Don't be surprised. They they had they called in a week. They had five. They had five hundred thousand. They called in another couple of days and had seven hundred fifty thousand. I said to my accountant, I said I'm gone. I said if Ben Hatskin only has two hundred fifty thousand dollars to make that a million, he's going to do it. Come yeah. hell or high water. <laughs> yeah. I said I'm a Winnipeg Jet. And I had not had no contract, nothing. It was just a word of mouth. Wow, handshake, handshake deal, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And and they they called and said, "We've got you the million. I said, "You've got yourself a hockey player." Wow. That's then. That's how it happened. Did did it concern you or worry you that you're going to this brand new upstart league? Like you said, well, it, it didn't worry me, uh, Chris, because I knew that I was, uh, I had the ability to. 
carry a team mm-hmm. to, to be a part of a, a a pretty good league. And it looked like there were going to be a lot of guys. Once I signed, a lot of guys were going to jump to the WHA because they were offering them three times the salaries that they were they were making in. in Where do um, they get this money? Where do they get that capital from? Well, they had businessmen that were mm-hmm. in other businesses that they'd made the money and sure as hell wasn't in hockey <laughs> <laughs> but they had they had the money that they'd made and and came up with it because when you signed like i'll tell you from my dad's standpoint he always says you know the 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 modern day player owes bobby hull because he was making i think like let's say 30 grand a year and went up to 100 because they didn't want anyone else to jump that's right and they they gave new york was the team that went to all their players before the league had really got started and gave them all about a three-time raise. And my dad, yeah, he's one of them. How how was it for you going to to Wurtz or whoever and saying, hey, I'm going to the WHA? Well, I met them in court. From then, they tried to enjoin me from playing for another league because they thought that the... Clause in our NHL contract: Once you sign one, you you belong to that team forever. Because that's the when way that's it was Kurt, up until then. Yeah, Kurt yeah. Flood, he he uh, countered it in the in the uh, professional baseball okay. league. So he, it, it had gone before us, and we fortunately uh, got a judge down in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. Judge Higginbotham. And very fortunate, he was a black judge. And when he came down to his summation, he said, Ladies and gentlemen, nobody owns nobody. <laughs> and I said, as soon as he said that, I said, we got him. <laughs> wow. He said, There's a, there was a president of the United States that said nobody owns nobody. Of course, he was speaking of the, right. the, 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 the slaves. Lincoln and everything, right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's where I met the Blackhawks the next few months in court. Because you were blackballed. Oh, of course I was. Right? Like yeah. you were yeah. persona non grata to the 19, NHL. 1972 was yeah. the, the um, Summit Series mm-hmm. against the, it's the Russians. Russians. They barred me from playing there. Yeah. Yeah. And anything else. They barred they, my kids. The only one that didn't bother was Brett. Uh-huh. Barring him from playing in the for, league, you mean? Yeah, or, oh, yeah. Okay. Or for drafting him or anything like wow. that. Wow. Yeah. You know, I had Espo, uh, Phil Esposito on this show, and we talked in, at length of that, and he, to this day, was still like, it was bullshit because it was Team Canada versus Team Russia. It wasn't Team NHL. And to not have Bobby Hall and Team Canada was ridiculously stupid. So it was Team NF- NHL, NHL right. not Team Canada. Right. Of course not. And they're like, we could have used him. Christ, I'm a Canadian yeah. through and through. Right. And I'm going from an American city, Chicago, to a Canadian city. <laughs> right. If that is <laughs> representing <laughs> Canada. Yeah. But it, it wasn't was, the players that were pissed. It was the owners. See, had, had, it's easy to say. But I know had I been in that the position that, let's say, a Phil Esposito was, mm-hmm. I would have uh, gathered up our guys and said, hey, uh, if they're not going to let Phil Esposito play, then none of us will play. Right, yeah, yeah. And that's how to, that's how to go about this. Kind of boycott. And, and you, you'd not likely know the, knew this, Chris, or a lot of other people. The series against the Russians 
came from the WHA. We were going to do it, and they got wind of it, but we didn't think we were ready in 1972. Mm-hmm. We were going to do it in the next year or two, and they and that G.D. Eagleson got word of it, and they went ahead and stole our idea. Yeah, stole our idea. Then we played against them in 74. Okay. Because a lot of those games were actually in Winnipeg. Uh, Two of them in 72, right? One one of them. One of them was. One of them in 72 and one in 74. In 74. How was it going to Winnipeg? I mean, there's the famous picture of Bobby Hall, (laughs) the corner of Portage and Maine. Everyone's just going nuts. Yeah. (laughs) I know when when I went in there into my hotel room, there was a great big leather mouton coat <laughs> that Ben Hanskin had bought me. He said, you're going to need that this this winter. <laughs> of course, I'd never been there before. Chris. Right, as you said. I didn't, I didn't know uh, the the, the prairie winters. Oh, jeez. Yeah, even growing up in Ontario, it's not the same. Oh, not, a, not at all. <laughs> yeah. but, but that that year, 72, 73, it was a cakewalk. Hmm. It was a mild, mild open winter. Oh, okay. And I said, what the hell are they talking about? <laughs> uh, the winters being so rough here in Manitoba. <laughs> yeah. But the next year I found out mm-hmm. it flooded and the whole thing. And it was, oh, it was a mess. So well, was, and the Jets were one of the first, uh, well, <clears throat> WHA as a whole was kind of the, the first league to bring in a lot of European players. Toronto had brought Salming and Hammerstrung okay. over the year before. 70, 71 or somewhere in mm-hmm. there. They were the, the first Swedes that were that, that I can recall being brought over. But we were the team that brought them over in mass. Mm-hmm. We brought Alfie Nelson, uh, Anders Hedberg, Lars Eich Schubert, uh, Danny LeBroton, Willie Lindstrom, Kurt Larson, Mats Lind, and two Finns by the name of Vela, uh, Veli Pekaketala and Hexi Rioranta. And so we had a combination of Swedes and Finns that almost was half of our team. Mm-hmm, yeah, the lion's share and, of the team. And yeah. so, so we were the first real team, the first professional team to bring any number of, of Europeans over at mm-hmm. one time. And then we got Tommy Bretterman after that, who had played in Detroit. I remember that, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, the, the big line was the hotline, Hall, well, Anders, Hedberg, and, and, and Alf Nielsen. And, Chris, what a joy it was to play with those kids. Oh, they were fabulous. Just And with the little Lars Eric, our little captain. Yeah. Uh, he was a general out there, and. Boy, it was it was it was fun. It was, when I was a kid reading his hockey card, I thought his name was Sodgeberg. Yeah, I didn't know how you said <laughs> Lars Eric Sodgeberg. S J O B E R G. What? Yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately, we lost him. He had stomach he problems. Passed away, yeah. 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 But but what a line, the hotline. I mean, that was like growing up. It's funny because there's there's a couple other guys that that I know that that you know. You went ice fishing with a guy called Brent Fitz. He's a drummer. oh yeah yeah. And Brent and I and everybody from our generation. If you grew up in Winnipeg in the seventies, it was all about the Jets, the Hotline, and Bobby Hall. Sure. What a what an amazing flying fast line you guys had. Well, when when they came over, I said, guys, listen to me and listen to me clearly. If there's going to be any changing of the way we're playing. I'll do the changing. You guys stay exactly as you are. And I want you to continue that way. And so all I did was just change positions. And I've done it all my life. I was all over the ice like a can of worms when I played. Oh. <laughs> but no one would change positions with me. 
I know I'd go over on the right side, and there Chico Mac would be standing there along the boards. What are you doing over here? <laughs> Instead of him going over on the left side. Right. Everyone had <laughs> but, to stay in their spots. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But those, those guys were unbelievable. And skate, the basic fundamentals. I've never seen anyone to this day handle that biscuit at high speeds like Anders Hedberg did and go in on right in front of the goaltender, right in, at his feet. Drop his shoulder. He, he, he was a left-hand shooter playing right side. Drop his shoulder to go left and pull it back on the backhand and roof it <laughs> all in one motion. He was fabulous. And then Alfie Nelson came to play every – he was our he was our playmaker. Yeah. Alfie, number 14, he was fabulous. What a great kid he was. Did you see those guys and say, I want to play in a line with them? Or Jerry Wilson, Dr. Jerry Wilson was over there on a sabbatical in Stockholm. And he called one – time and said Bobby I've got a couple of kids over here that you would just love to play with I said Jerry if they if they've got any good hit if they got good heads and good hearts get them to hell over here and if they can any hockey ability at all get them over here because I was running thin with the guys that I had mm-hmm. and boy the first time we went down the ice we were out practicing with the junior team or the um, <laughs> not the junior team the um, college team uh-huh. and I always fooled with the pucks out in front of the net and I'm always freaking around and they were standing in the corner over on the right side and all of a sudden the coach said Bobby you and the Swedes line rush well I just turned I had a puck I just turned from my back to the other end and swung up to straighten up, going the other the right way, those two came out of that corner like they were shot out of a bazooka, <laughs> and it was just <laughs> in the net. We rushed, I don't know how many times, never went up the ice that we didn't score. <laughs> that's the, that's the kind of people they were. They were, yeah. And I said, oh, oh, there'll be three shooting them in and four fishing them out this year, <laughs> and that's and that's the way it was. Was there a big difference between the quality of play, uh, NHL and WHA? When we started to play exhibition games, mm-hmm. we won 85% of their games against the NHL. You played an ex- exhibition games well, against the NHL? Oh, yeah. Towards the end of, what would that be? be before, uh, what, the 79, they merged. Right. So it was couple of years before that. When they knew there was going to be a merger, or why They're, were they? Oh, oh, oh they knew. There, there, okay. there were, we weren't going away. Okay. See, we had we had, we had had four teams that were very, very good teams. Quebec Nordic, uh, Edmonton, mm-hmm. uh, New England uh, Whalers, the Whalers, yeah. and our Jets, club, yeah. and the Jets. And they were four very, very good teams. And that's when I told them, I said, they're going to rape you guys. They're not going to let you into the league with those kind of teams and yeah. have and have the WHA kicking the shit out of NHL. Right. Team. I said, they're going to rape you. I said, now is the time to form a real World Hockey Association. We'll get the Czechs. We'll get the Swedes. We'll get the Finns. And the Russians will get so sick of playing amongst themselves that they'll opt into it. In a, in a year mm-hmm. or two. I said, now you got the hammer. I said, use it. But uh, we were sold down the river, just like always. When when they merged, 
we had a guy we had a guy that ran our the association that sold us down the river. Mm. Yeah. How, how did the merger come to pass? Was it did they well, buy they, the WHA or yeah, was the, the WHA doing bad business? Well, or? that's what I said. They sold down the river. Gotcha. Everyone, all the all the the teams from the WHA. Ooh, we're getting in the NHL. I said, yeah, you're getting in the NHL with one or two of the players that you had on that's that right. other you team. Could, you could keep two of your that's, guys, that's and all. the rest went into a draft, right? A- absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I and, said they're going to rape you guys. So those those are the four teams that went in, and they did very well for themselves mm-hmm. after they got <laughs> settled yeah. around. Well, they all ended up being last place teams. Well, <laughs> yeah. I'm not so sure about that. Um, there was a great rivalry set up with Nordique and the Canadians, Montreal Canadiens. That's true. Good point. And um, um, uh, maybe I'm thinking about the Jets, the um, uh, Oilers. No, the uh, team on the East Coast. Oh, the Whalers. Whalers. Uh, when I went there and set, uh, to finish my career in, in 79 80, uh, we went into the playoffs against Montreal. And we had two games. It was best of three, two overtime games with them. We could have, we were this close to beating the, Mon- the mighty Montreal Canadiens back in 79-80. Were you playing with Gordie Howe? Because he was on the Whalers. Howe was on the Whalers. Uh, David Keon. Wow. Good team. It was, it was, it, we had a good team. Very and that's good That's the team. first time you ever played with Gordie Howe. The first, first time other than all-star games. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you earlier, what kind of training did you do? You mentioned that you, you were training, you were going to get in the league no matter what. Like in the 60s, what were you doing? 70, 70, well, I trained by, I'm, I'm Farmer by heart, mm-hmm. and I raised cattle, and I threw bales of hay around that's all, all summer, thing, yeah. and that's how I. That's how I, and I was on my feet all year, all mm-hmm. summer. Uh, the only time that I did any extra training was '76 Canada Cup. Uh, that would be the first time that any WHA people were brought to camp to represent Canada in the WHA. Jerry Cheevers, Paul Schmier, and I think myself. There were only three of us. And I said, these guys are going to find any little chink in my armor and to give me the bum's rush. Mm-hmm. So uh, I took the, the kids would go over with me. There was a third of a mile track at one of the... Um, service the barracks one of the air force barracks or army barracks yeah, yeah. Area in, in town and i'd go over there with bobby blake and brett and we'd start running and i'd i'd walk a third uh, lope a third and then sprint a third and uh, of course brett was the first one out he couldn't make it around the first <laughs> and uh, blake was the next one out and then bobby was about 16 then i guess and uh, he stayed with me for quite a while. And uh, one the last, <laughs> when I saw him last, he's hollering at me. You old son of a bitch. You're 37 years old, and you can still outrage me at 60. <laughs> but that's the only, and I went in really good shape to, uh-huh. to, uh, to the Canada, uh, Cup. Canada Cup. We trained in Montreal, and, and then they pulled a fast one on me. Um, Scotty Bowman was a coach, and mm-hmm. a number of others. Sam Pollock was there, and uh, Jean Beliveau was there, and Bobby Crom, and 
they called uh, the trainer, uh, the uh, equipment guy says, Bobby, the brass, they're gathering in there. They want to see you after you shower. I said, uh-oh, here it comes. <laughs> so I showered up and walked in, and there, Orr was there. Uh, Bobby Clark was there. Denny Putvin was there. Uh, Bob Ganey, maybe. Mm-hmm. And all the, the coaching staff. And I said, here it comes. And uh, Scotty Bowman's jingling, changing his pocket, and looking up the ceiling, he says, uh, Bobby, uh, we've decided that uh, we're going to have Bobby Clark as our our captain, and uh, Bobby Orr and Denny Putvin as assistants. And we were just wondering if you'd like to, to be one of our assistant captains of the team. Well, I could have. They could have bought me for a plug nickel. I thought, here it comes. They're going to give me the bums rush. And they, and they laughed their ass. They knew yeah. the, what I was thinking. But there was, there was some. That oar was fabulous. On, on one Bobby leg. Orr. On one leg. Because his knee was messed up. Yeah. Right? yeah. Uh, we were scrimmaging. It ended up two to two. Mm-hmm. So Scotty Bowman said, no. a losing team has to do wind sprints. Now, I'm 37. Bobby's got a bad knee. We looked at one another. He didn't want any more sprints than I did. And he looked at me, and I looked at him. They dropped the puck. And I was playing with Marcel Dion and, and uh, uh, Gilbert Perrault mm-hmm. at that time. And the the puck came over to me on the left side, and I wheeled it to, to or on the right point. And he hit, and I circled around. He hit it diagonally down the left wing. I I followed him up to the red line, and then I went in the slot area. Before he went around the net, mm-hmm. he laid the puck out to me, and it was behind Rogi Vachon. <laughs> well, he tur- he kept going this way, and I turned this way. We met at the, the gate going off the ice, yeah. and I opened the door, and I said, after you, Mr. Orr. He said, no, after you, Mr. Hall. <laughs> and I, and it, was, it, was, it was one of the greatest moments of my life. But well, he was better on one leg than most of us on two. Well, that's what you always hear. That, that, oh, yeah. that it, it's it's either or or Gretzky, depending on what side oh. of the coin you're on. You know, Gretzky could let no. <laughs> Bobby Orr was the best. Did you next to Brett Hall? Bobby Orr. There was, you go. Was did you best. did you play with uh, Gretzky at all when he was on the Indianapolis against him when he was yeah. on the Indianapolis? Races? My last one of my last games in the WHA. Did you see like wow, this guy's oh, got some special? Let me, let me tell you a little story about that. I'll, I'll tell you how the game went. I scored the winning goal against Suitcase Smith and, and Gary and Suitcase Gary Smith, Smith yeah. named because he played for so many teams. Oh yeah, he never yeah. unpacked his suitcase. Oh, of course. No. <laughs> and so before that, um, Lars Eric and Anders and Alfie and I are having a cup of tea before we go went to the game, and uh, there was this only other person in the restaurant was a lady sitting over on the by the windows on the one side of them. So we got up to put our jackets on the player bear bill, and up she gets and heads for us. And she came over and she said, "Are you Mr. Hull?" I said, "Yes, ma'am." She said, "My name is Phyllis Gritsky, and you're going to be playing against my son tonight, and I don't want you to hurt him." <laughs> I said, "Mrs. Gritsky, you don't have to worry about any of our team hurting." Your son, uh-huh. Wayne, will allow him to play his game. We, we That's not our way of playing. 
and he played like hell that night. He hit the post a couple of times mm-hmm. and got madder than hell <laughs> because he didn't account everything. But he, he made things happen, and that was the last time, first and last so. I played against him. But here's another story that a lot of people don't know. When I was finished in 1980, I got a call from Glenn Sather, who was then coach and manager of the the Oilers. Oilers. He says, Bobby, we've got a kid here you'd just love to play with. I said, Glenn, I said, I'm right up to my eyeballs with hockey, and I'm down a court, and I, I just, I've, I've had enough of it. But he says, I understand. He said, I'm going to give you a call in a couple of weeks, see if you change your mind. We'd love to have you come here and play with us. Stupidly, all I had to do was go there and lay the stick on the ice. Oh, and I'd, yeah. I'd have scored 50. Oh yeah, but I, 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 I made it. And... Uh huh. And what a draw it would have been, man! What a draw it would have been. You know, we're uh, getting Sorry, ready. Guys. That's all right. Is it Gretzky? Is it Sather? Still wants you to come play for him? Uh, that was Sather. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, my shoulders were gone. Then. Yeah. But I, I, likely, what I had to have done was have the shoulder looked at it. That just that year, I just snapped something in there. I heard it pop. Mm-hmm. I had I had two goals, and I was walking in on another Smith goaltender, and I laid on the stick to pop one, and it, and it was just like you know the cork guns that you had as kids yeah. with the string on them, and they go pop, yeah, and it sounded like that, or I'd stepped on a a light bulb, mm. and God, what the hell's happened? I looked at my stick. Nothing wrong with my stick. The next morning, my shoulder was sore as a boil. So. That was it, yeah. But all they had to do then was a little, uh, what do they call it? Uh, yeah, the little, osca- uh, yeah, orthoscopic uh, surgery. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And fixed. And scope fixed, it. Yeah, scope it. And, and fixed whatever mm-hmm. was wrong with it in there. Because you were only 40 years old or so, right? 40, 42 at that time. Okay. 40-something. I don't know, something like that. When you look back, uh, do you think you made the right move still going from NHL to WHA? There are pros and cons. Mm-hmm. Uh, likely, had I, I stayed in Chicago, I'd have got into something that uh, maybe a different business or mm-hmm. even with the, with the team. Uh, although going to Winnipeg gave me a great deal of satisfaction to bring hockey to a smaller area and give a, a lot of kids a chance to strut their wares and to become not only great players, but all-stars and Hall of Famers. Mm-hmm. We produce, out of the, the first year of those four teams going into the NHL, Winnipeg, Edmonton, uh, Hartford, and Quebec, the, out of the top 20 scorers, tw- out of the top 20 scorers, 10 of them were from the WHA. Yeah. And, of course, we had guys like Gretzky in there. Uh, and Messier, uh, De Messier, uh, Goulet, uh, Stassi uh, Lindsman, uh, Mark Napier. We had there were some great players came out of the WHA. Mm-hmm. When they add, when they talk about your stats overall in your career now, like when you're in the Hall of Fame, do they count the WHA? No, they no. don't. So it's just the no. NHL. Yeah. So your stats would have been a lot bigger if you would have stayed in the NHL. <laughs> well, like, likely, <laughs> likely I would have played and, until I. Maybe scored as many as my son. <laughs> How <laughs> many did he seven, score? He scored 750, I think. What did you get? I, in 15 years, I got 
610. But see, another thing too, though, Bobby, and we're, we're getting ready to wrap up here, but um, once again, you started this whole system that the players play in of free agency and and just the amount of money they make that's if it wasn't for what you had done things might not be the way they are now they'd have been picking shit with the chickens just like they were then <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> especially in the 70s Absol- right oh absolutely yeah. because when you went to who followed you to the WHA Sanderson went Derek Sanderson yeah but he was no he was, he, he was not a leader right no. So you were the um, you were the the guy. Cheevers came. So there's a couple he others. Played well, yeah. Uh, Jerry Pinder, uh, Christian Bordalo, mm. Mark Tardif. A lot of that uh, Whaler team came from the Maple Leafs. Okay, Rick Lee and Selwood and uh, a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but that league was, that league was basically on your shoulders when you uh, moved. More or less, uh, I uh, I believe. That had our team not survived, mm-hmm. and I'm talking about the Winnipeg Jets, that the league would have folded. Yeah, because we we went a couple of paychecks without taking pay. Yeah, just to, so that the team would stay. Did you have to afloat. rally? Did you have to rally the troops when that happened? Oh when no, the, no. Okay, they, Bobby, what are you going to do? I said we're not going to get paid for a couple of three or four weeks. Okay, if you aren't. We're not. <laughs> they were a great group of guys. Oh, God. Last question. You scored so many great goals. Is there one that stands out in your mind? You're like, this is, this, that was my favorite. <laughs> there were so many, Chris. Once in my third year, once I got to know what I was doing, mm-hmm. I won the scoring championship in 1959-60. And once I got to know that I could compete with the Howes and the Bellivos and the Moors and the Espositos and the Mahavaliches. That was that was a feather in my cap, and I scored a power of goals in fifteen years, six hundred and ten. Yeah, <laughs> but I guess likely the one that stands out, and it wasn't because I, it was the goal that broke the fifty goal barrier, uh, scoring fifty one for the first time. It was a tremendous ovation that the Chicago fans gave me. Mm-hmm. They just stood and, and applauded and, and applauded. It was for like five minutes or something, oh, right? It was, yeah. it was, they said 12 or 15 12, minutes. Okay, there yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and likely that was the one. But uh, against your dad's team, mm-hmm. 1971, we had a great series of semifinals. Hawks and Rangers. Against New York. Oh, they, they had a great team. We had three overtime games in that series, the seven games. Oh, yeah. Pete Stemkowski scored the winning goal in two of those games mm-hmm. in New York, and I scored one against Jockerman in <laughs> Chicago, and we beat him out. That was the year that uh, Martin Luther King was assassinated, and, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, we were a little beat up. And we got an extra day off, and they they claim that's the one that, <laughs> that New York New York had a great team, and they thought they should have won it, and we should have gone on and beat the Canadians for goodness sakes, leading two to nothing going in the third period, getting the wrong people out there three times. Come on, <laughs> I still have nightmares. It about still it. bugs you to this oh, day. <laughs> that's a true warrior, man, Bobby. It's great talking to you, and I'm glad we're able to to make this happen Chris, today. Fabulous. My pleasure. Thank you. It was a, was a great year. You're well-versed on the game of hockey. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, sir. As well as a tremendous athlete uh, in the 
in the wrestling business. Thank you, sir. Everybody knows Chris Jericho. That's <laughs> the legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes. The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Thanks again to NHL Hall of Famer, one of the greatest of all time, Bobby Hull. The Chicago Blackhawks are taking on the Tampa Bay Lightning. Game one of the NHL championship starts tonight. Cheer on Bobby's team, the Blackhawks. And don't forget about the Winnipeg Jets. They're coming back huge next year. You wait and see. And coming back huge a week from Friday, my summer run with the WWE, the Y2J WWE Summer Tour. As you guys know, I'm doing live events this summer. No TVs and pay-per-views. I'm only coming to your town, non-televised, starting June 12th in Springfield, Illinois, June 13th, Terre Haute, June 20th, Las Vegas, 27th, Boston, 28th, Reading. Go right into July and August. Go check them out at WWE.com. Plus, starting June 23rd on the USA Network, I am hosting Tough Enough. It's back bigger and better and better than ever. I'm uh, I'm the host of the show. I'm going to be like a, a glorified, uh, uh, muscled-up Ryan Seacrest. <laughs> Actually, we've got a lot of surprises. It's going to be an amazing, amazing program. I think if you like Tough Enough before, you're going to love it even more now. And if you love good time rock and roll, come check out some shows Fozzie's got this summer. June 25th. The Val Air Ballroom in Des Moines, Iowa. June 26th at the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Sioux City, Iowa. July 24th at the Square in Kitchener, Ontario. August 8th, uh, we got uh, the Festival of Friends in Hamilton, Ontario. August 9th, Heavy Montreal in Montreal. October 30th, we're heading out on the Kiss Cruise. Then, of course, we're heading over to England. The Cinderblock Party uh, continues over there. That starts in November with Nonpoint. We're going everywhere, man. Go to FozzyRock.com. Check out all ticket information and VIP information. We put on one of the best VIP programs you're ever going to get. Ask around. Go to at FozzyRock for more detail. Go to FozzyRock for more detail. And don't forget, all you guys, if you want more details about some of our great sponsors like MeUndies, True Car, DDP Yoga, Recovery Max, Burger King, of course, Amazon, you go to podcastone.com. You click on the Supporter Show Sponsors banner at the top of the page. They hit the Talk is Jericho button. Don't forget, you go shopping on Amazon. You go through uh, my link. You, uh, we get a couple bucks thrown back to us for, for uh, expenses paid that we have to uh, take care of. Lights and microphones and gas for driving all over the continent of the United States, getting great guests for you guys. We got Amazon links for the U.S the UK, Canada. Every time we do that, Amazon kicks back a little cash to the show. So we keep doing these for you for free for twice a week. No extra fees or hidden charges. You're just getting the shopping done and help me out in the process. You go to podcastone.com. You click on the supporter show sponsors banner at the top of the page. You wagey. Then you hit the talk is Jericho button. All right. Thanks again to Bobby Hull. And this Friday, another crazy story. Uh, I got a, a, an old friend of mine. Uh, he's a warrior, uh, wrestled for many years in ECW, and now he's found himself in a wheelchair, unable to walk, uh, has a great attitude, he's totally clean and sober, and he needs your help. He's going to tell us all about it. It's the tragic tale of Axel Rotten. It's coming up on Friday. I'm looking forward to, to, to seeing you then. I'm looking forward to talking to Axel, and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say. I love you. Good day. Good night. Stay hard. Stay hungry. And uh, yeah, boy. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. You're listening to Love Advice with Leanne. 
Caller, you're on the air. Uh, hi, Leanne. Long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> Why, in your professional opinion, do you never take my calls off the air? Is this Carl? Yep, it's Carl. I mean, we had a few dates. Everything was great, I thought.、Uh... Well, you know, when you switch to GEICO, you could save a lot of money on car insurance. Okay, awesome. You should call them. I will. GEICO, because saving 15% or more on car insurance is always a great answer. Daddy, where do babies come from? Uh, well, uh, honey. Mommy went to the store. Oh, well, you see, um, well, there's a mommy and a daddy, right? Right. And see, when they call Geico, uh, they could save a bunch of money on car insurance. Oh, really? And that makes them happy? Yes, that makes them very happy. That's good. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we could have this talk, sunshine. <laughs> Geico, because saving 15 percent or more on car insurance is always a great answer. Syria peace talks. I'm Ben Thomas with an AP News Minute. Syrian rebels have rejected peace talks being proposed by Russia. They're accusing Moscow of failing to pressure its ally, President Bashar Assad, to end the conflict. Christmas may be over, but the shopping isn't. Hazel Ginn was at Macy's Herald Square in New York today. It's not too bad.、Um, even we went up to the ninth floor, and we managed to get in a queue of about four deep. So not bad. Yeah, and then we went to another one, and it was only a couple. So we kind of timed it well, I think. America's research group, which focuses on consumer behavior, projects holiday sales up about five percent this year. Harley Davidson is placing a renewed emphasis on teaching people to ride as part of its efforts to attract more customers. The company is expanding the number of dealerships with a Harley Riding Academy. The move comes as the industry grapples with years of declining sales and an aging customer base. I'm Ben Thomas.